Amen. Good morning, you guys. How are you? Okay. The crowds have been a little quiet today, so I need you guys to amp it up just a little bit. Uh, a lot of our people are on vacation. I go on Instagram, I go, whoa, Iceland, Spain, uh, all over the world right now. So this is the time of the year when, when your regulars go somewhere and all kinds of new people start coming. So I've talked to several people this weekend, new to our church. Last few weeks, it's been that way. People move into town, they go, hey, I want to check out some churches. So before I give a message this morning, I want to talk a little bit about who we are as a church, what makes us unique. And this will be a good review for everyone who goes, yeah, that's my church. Uh, I love the color clear. Clear is my favorite color in the whole world. When there's clarity, there's unity. When there's unity, there's momentum. So even for those of us who are uh, regulars, hopefully this will keep us even more unified as we go into the fall. Um, we are a movement church. We're not just a church that uh, has you know, services and does programs for kids and stuff. We're a movement church. And our, our vision is to be a global movement of everyday disciples making disciples for generations to come. So people come to Restoration, they go, okay, you guys talk about disciples a lot. What exactly is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who loves God, loves people, and makes disciples. Great commission, great commandment, love God, love people, make disciples. And the way we make disciples is through simple churches. So that's the next question people ask. I hear about simple churches all the time. What is a simple church? Well, guess what? It's really simple. So a simple church loves God, loves people, makes disciples. Do you see the continuity between the two? Now, the church exists to make disciples. Our methodology is to make disciples primarily through simple churches, as well as uh, what we do here on, on the weekends. Next question we get asked all the time is, how is a simple church different than a small group? I mean, if you've come from the churches like, oh, what? I, I know groups. Is a simple church just a group and they call it something different? My answer is no. Okay, so groups are internally focused on the people inside the group and they're uh, content focused. They like to listen to content, read content, and talk about it. And a simple church is different in that they're externally focused. They're focused on making more disciples, starting more simple churches, and they're focused on content that leads to practice, to application, to obedience. Do you see the difference? It's subtle, but it's really, really, really important. And so that's, that's a very, very important difference. Uh, what do we do in, in, in simple churches? We do a three-third process. So we look back, we look up, and we look ahead. So we look back, and we, we take prayer requests, and we go, hey, how'd it go? Did God say yes or no or maybe? What's he saying to you through your prayer request? How's he answering that prayer request? Um, we, we hold each other accountable for um, acts of obedience and practice that we, we make together. We do that for a little bit. Then we look up, read some new content, and we read to listen. We're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, which is our topic today, by the way. Uh, we believe he speaks to us. And then we look ahead, and we apply the content, try to embody it in our everyday lives. And then we set goals to share faith and start new simple churches. Make sense? Look back, look up, look ahead. Am I being clear? Yes. Okay. Oh, clear as mud. Thank you. All right. State of the movement. Um, the movement is growing rapidly, and it's going increasingly uh, healthy. So one of the reasons we started doing simple churches versus just small groups is because of the emphasis on applying the word of God and being accountable to live it out, we're seeing more quality in our discipleship. So we're hearing more stories about people experiencing like spiritual, emotional healing. We're hearing stories of simple churches raising money for surgeries for people in their simple church. We're hearing more and more stories like we've heard about today of people sharing their faith, seeing people come to faith. The main reason we are a movement church is not to reach more people, although that's super important. It's to, to create higher quality disciples, thus the emphasis on discipleship. But we are growing, and we're growing rapidly. Uh, according to a missiologist, someone who studies how the mission of God is working in the U.S., we are the fastest growing movement in the United States right now. Is that good news? Yes. We can clap with that. 
All right. So thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Here's our vision. By 2030, we'd like to see 1% of the metro area in a disciple-making movement. So that's roughly 30,000 people. By then, we'll probably be about 3 million people in the metro area. By 2040, we're praying for 10%. So 300,000 people in our movement locally and many more globally. Some of us are going to India here in a few weeks. We have a movement there. Uh, a number of years ago, we, we transitioned a big megachurch into a, a disciple-making movement. And uh, we'll be over there here in a few weeks to do some training and uh, just check on the health of that movement. So we're going increasingly global. We're having more and more people move out of our city, going to other cities and starting simple churches there. So it's really cool what God's doing. So glory be to God, right? All right, so that's, um, that's message number one. If you have questions about who we are as a church, where we're going, uh, see me on the porch. Better yet, go to the Next Steps class next week. And we'll answer any questions you have. Uh, but today, we're going to practice listening to God because our, our movement will rise or fall on our ability to individually and collectively hear God's voice and do what he's telling us to do. So uh, in light of our desire to listen to God, I actually create some sheets today. Like we've never done this before, I think in the history of the church, like actual note sheets where you actually take notes like when you're in school. Isn't that cool? So I want to encourage active listening today. Pull out those. You got pens and the seat backs. If you can't see them, it's kind of dark in here. Just keep pushing paper around until you, you see a pen. And then I would encourage you to take notes. The front side is the text. The back side is just three fill in the blanks and then some room to take other notes as, uh, as you so desire. So listening to God. And also, if you don't like to take notes, you can draw pictures and you can write your number for the girl that's cute and you can take that off and peel it off and give it to her. We're a multi-purpose church. Okay, recent research indicates that 55% of all Americans pray daily, 23% pray weekly, 6% monthly, 23% never pray. And I love this stat. One out of five atheists pray on a regular basis. So apparently Christians are not the only hypocrites, all right? So we got, we got, we got atheists who pray and we have Christians that don't pray. So hey, we're welcome while the water's warm. We're all a bunch of hypocrites, okay? Um, what we don't have is statistics on people who claim to hear from God. Lots of people claim to talk to God, but there's no really good research on people who hear from God. I have a hypothesis about this. People who say, I'm hearing from God, are often seen as crazy, okay? You should be in a mental hospital. You're probably schizophrenic. Who, who hears from God? It's just something we don't talk about in, in our culture. And yet, in the Bible, it's normative. People are always hearing from God. And that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with all of us. He wants to have a conversational relationship where we don't only talk to God, we hear from God and we listen to his voice on a regular basis. So that's our goal today. Um, let's be honest though, some of us claim to hear from God all the time. I meet people in the church and they go, I heard God say this, I heard God say that. Like, I'm like, wow, he talks to you about like that much and in that kind of detail. Yeah, he told me what kind of toothpaste to get. He said, get the charcoal toothpaste. I'm like, either God doesn't care about my teeth or he doesn't speak to me as much as he does to you. But we have people who like, they claim to hear from God all the time. And then we have other people in the church, like I never hear from God. I have people say, I've never once ever heard the, the voice of God, audible or a feeling or whatever, never heard it. And then most of us, if we're honest, we have like selective listening skills. Like we listen to the stuff that we want to hear and then we tune out the stuff that we, we don't want to hear. So I want God to tell me that my kids will be well-adjusted adults and that he wants me to have a certain amount of money so I can go on vacation, and that uh, you know, I'm always going to be healthy, and our church is always going to thrive, and I'm not going to go through any spiritual warfare. I like hearing that kind of stuff. I don't want God to tell me, hey, you're going to Iran. You're going to trade in your SUV for a, a camel, and your wife's going to wear a burqa. Okay, that's, that's, that's my plan for your life. Don't want to hear that stuff, so I just kind of have these selective listening abilities. You know, Amen, anybody wrestle with that? 
So today, I'm hoping that uh, the Spirit of God will inspire us to give up our selective listening and, and to pursue the voice of God no matter what. And then I'm also praying that we learn to troubleshoot why we sometimes don't hear the voice of God. So how many of you have recently been on a Zoom call and things didn't work? Someone couldn't hear, you couldn't see somebody, whatever. And you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you all know what I'm talking about. Um, I was on a call the other day, like, okay, I'm getting text and like hand signals because we couldn't see somebody, we couldn't hear somebody. That's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to troubleshoot what gets in the way of us hearing from God. And I got three tools I want to give to you, actually three uh, plus a few others. So first, a little Bible study, Acts 21. We're going through the book of Acts. If you're new with us, we're in chapter 21. Today, verses 1 through 16. This is going to be kind of a a dense section, so buckle your seatbelts for like five, six minutes. We're going to just get into the text and try to understand what's happening in the text. Then we'll come out of the text, and we'll come back to the topic of learning to listen to God. Verses 1 through 6. Um, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Are you following me? <laughs> so Luke, who wrote this, he was a doctor and a historian, and he loves detail, lots and lots of detail. Okay. Uh, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. Okay, that's a lot. So here's what's happening. Acts 20, Billy preached last week, listened to it if you missed it, great message. Uh, they were in Ephesus. And here he's like leaving Ephesus, and, and Luke said, we had to tear ourselves away because they were like spiritual family. They loved us, loved them, and they knew that uh, they, they would never see us again. So it was this grieving moment. They had to tear themselves away. Then they, they go to all these little cities uh, on, a, on a boat. They eventually wind up in Tyre, which is uh, southern-day Lebanon, and they're there for seven days. And they go, I wonder if there's any Christians here. So they start snooping around. They find a, a group of Christians. They find a simple church, and they become friends with these people, fast friends, like with this spiritual family. Have you ever noticed like you, you move to a new town and you, you look for Christians, you find them, and it's like sometimes like it's just instant spiritual family, like people just out of water and you got a family. That's what Paul experienced almost everywhere he went. He would go places and he'd meet Christians like spiritual family. Um, these Christians entire did not want Paul to go to Jerusalem. In fact, they, they went so far as to say that the spirit told them you should not go to Jerusalem because you're going to suffer there. Well, in Acts chapter 20, the Spirit told Paul he was supposed to go to Jerusalem and that he would, in fact, suffer there. So we got a disconnect here. we got a group saying, I think the Spirit's saying this. Paul's saying, no, I think the Spirit's saying that. Okay, put a pin in that. we got a conflict. Uh, verses 7 through 9. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Okay, so the last time we saw Philip, it was in chapter eight. He was one of the seven deacons that the early church kind of laid hands on to serve widows and stuff so that the apostles could focus on prayer and the ministry of, of, the, of the word. And he had this gift of evangelism. So he's the guy, if you remember the text, where uh, this Ethiopian eunuch came to faith. Philip was that guy that led him to faith. Well, that was AD 31. Now it's AD 
59, 28 years later, and he's in Caesarea, not in Jerusalem. He's got four daughters, and they're prophetesses. What is a prophetess? It's a female prophet. What do prophetesses do? The same thing prophets do. They, they hear from God, and they speak to individuals or to a community about what they think God is saying to them. Okay? These are teenage girls that had a reputation of hearing from God and speaking to the church. Uh, I don't have time to geek out on this, but Eusebius, who was an early church historian, talks about these girls uh, due to a sermon by Papias where he talked about how they were uh, very helpful in the formation of the New Testament. Like they gave Luke all kinds of information that we have here in the book of Acts. So way to go, teenage girls. Yeah, come on. Girl power. All right. So another example of people hearing from God. Uh, verses 10 through 11, chapter 12. 21. Um, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says. So again, listen to the Holy Spirit. In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So Agabus was a, a prophet with a reputation of hearing from God, and he did what a lot of the Old Testament prophets were doing. This, this is a New Testament prophet, but Old Testament prophets would often do like things, symbolic things, object lessons to communicate a point. So Ezekiel built like a, a city like Jerusalem one time, kind of matchsticks, whatever, and, and he talked about and prayed over that thing and taught over that thing and said, this is what God's going to do to Jerusalem. He's going to destroy it. Object lesson, very vivid, okay? Very great teaching mechanism. Isaiah the prophet with the most ink in in the Old Testament. I'm not making this up. It's in the scriptures. He preached naked for three years. Naked for three years. And the point he was trying to make was, um, you're going to go like buck naked off to Egypt and Cush if you rely on them because the Assyrians are going to destroy those two nations. Don't trust Assyria. You need to trust in God. And so he was told by God, preach naked for three years. Now, let's be really clear about something. I'm never going to do that. Okay, this is where my selective listening skills kick in. So if I ever heard something like that, it's probably because I ate a bad pizza. It would be a horrible experience for you, horrible experience for me, and I would go to jail. So not going there. God knows I'm not going to go there. I'm never going to do that, okay? Uh, my, my faith has its limits. But Agabus doesn't tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He just ties up his hand, his feet with Paul's belt and says, says if you go, you will suffer. And that's exactly what the Spirit had already told Paul. So it was a confirmation that Paul was to go to Jerusalem, but that he would suffer there. Verses 12 through 16, and we're almost done. Um, When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So the text wraps up with uh, these Christians in Caesarea, including Philip and his daughters. And then the we here refers to this, this team that Paul's going to Jerusalem with. And we have their names in Acts chapter 20, including Luke who's the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and they're all telling Paul, don't go. Do not go to Jerusalem. If you go there, you could die. You're going to suffer. And Paul says, you know what? I'm ready to die if I have to. And then finally, they throw up their hands and they go, all right, God's will be done. God's will be done. So put a pen in that as well. All right. So that's the text. Way to go. Man, was that some dense stuff? Can you guys give it up for each other? That was five minutes of intense Bible study. Okay, way to work through the text. Now let's, let's elevate a little bit 
And let's go back to troubleshooting. And let's learn some skills and some ways we can better dial into the voice of God. So number one, if you're taking notes, do a little fill in the blank thing here today. Uh, believe he wants to speak to us. We have to believe he wants to speak to us. This was true of Paul. Paul believed that God speaks to those who have a spirit and who are following Jesus, that it, it was to be like, expected. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I don't fully understand this, but God loves faith. He, he loves belief. And when we believe he will speak to us and we seek him, he speaks. He rewards us for the seeking and for the listening. I, I have this uh, lamp in our, our house. It's one of those restoration hardware kind of lamps, you know, that looks old and sometimes it acts its age. <laughs> so I, I like to read paper books at night, kind of old school. Some of you maybe have never seen one, but uh, you flip the pages, you can highlight and stuff. And so I like to sit in the corner and get off my screens before I go to bed to kind of get the blue light out of the way and just read, read a book. And invariably, I'll get to a really good place in the book, and that's when the light starts to flicker, and it goes off. It's like some little demon comes in the house when I'm enjoying my book and like starts messing with it. So then I start troubleshooting, like we're talking about today. I go to the switch. I go, that seems to work. Light bulb. Uh, trace it back to the power strip. Power strip's on. Trace it to the wall. Usually somewhere in there, something's you know, a little bit loose, okay? But that light represents, for me, like my experience with God. There, there are times I feel like God's presence is so vivid, like he's right there. And there are other times where like, where'd you go? Like, where's Waldo? I, can't, I cannot find you. I cannot hear you. I can't feel you. Where are you? And, and I had one of those moments this last Wednesday morning. I, I walk uh, over in Wash Park. I walk, when I pray, I, I like to walk. I, I pray better walking for some reason. More on that in a second. And I'm trying to connect. And I'm going through this acronym we use around here, chat, confess, honor, ask, thank. Nothing's, I'm not feeling it, okay? And like, where is God? I just have days like that where I just can't seem to connect with him. I can't seem to hear his voice. And then there are other days it's just so vivid. And so about four weeks ago, uh, I went to bed grateful. I try to thank God for things before I go to bed. And at one in the morning, God woke me up and I felt compelled to worship, just to start worshiping him. And I had this experience that was so powerful. It, it was like God's, God was like, I know he's inside me theologically, but I could feel it. Like I could feel his presence and it was like right here. And I had this uh, mentor named Colin Millar in Texas. He's teaching me how to pray better and listen to God and wait on God. And he asked me a few days later, like, what, what did, like, try to describe it. I said, it was like having a chunk of gold, like this chunk of gold in my chest. And I said, I don't know how to articulate that, like what that felt like, but it was like, it felt weighty. It felt... Uh, luminous, like there was light inside of me. I felt incredible amounts of love. And I felt this glory, like his glory inside of me. And if you had these kind of experiences, you know that words just completely fail you. But it was so rich. And there was a part of me that wanted it to end because it almost hurt. And there was a part of me that didn't want it to ever end. And I think what God was giving me was a little taste of heaven. Okay? So why is it sometimes God seems like, nowhere to be found. And other times I feel his presence in such a rich way and I can hear his voice clearly. I, I think the issue is not with God because God's present with us all the time. I think the issue is with us. It's with me. And, and I, I, I take comfort in the fact that this is normative. Like Christians throughout the ages, even very mature Christians, ha have a hard time always believing God wants to speak 
and that what he wants to say is good and therefore worth listening to. So George MacDonald, who uh, was a pastor in the 18th century, 19th century, uh, great author. C.S. Lewis, if you're a Lewis fan, said that George MacDonald was his master, his mentor, his teacher. And late in his life, he wrote a book called Diary of an Old Soul, where he says, sometimes I wake and lo, I have forgot and drifted upon or out upon an ebbing sea. My soul that was at rest now resteth not, for I am with myself and not with thee. I think he's articulating the problem. We stop believing that God's good. We stop believing that his presence is what we need more than anything else. And we go back to project self and we start listening to self and being self-led. I think that's when we lose the presence of God and that's when we fail to hear the voice of God. So one of the best things we can do when we can't hear God's voice is to believe. Go, I believe, say it out loud if you have to. I believe God's presence is what I need more than anything else. I believe God's voice is what I need more than anything else and start to listen again. But listen in faith. Amen, somebody? Amen. Just checking. Okay. All right. Uh, number two, improve our, our listening skills. Listening skills. Uh, Curtis Sargent, who is a mentor of mine, he's been mentoring us in movement. Like he's the one that taught us how to do movement stuff. Uh, he's been a part of movements that number in the millions and millions of people. Uh, just an incredibly godly man. He said somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was a book or I heard him say it, our prayer lives should be about 75% listening and 25% talking, which makes kind of sense when you think about it. Like God probably has more to say that we should listen to than we have to say to him, right? Uh, James 1.19 says, be quick to hear, slow to listen. So four skills that will increase our ability to hear God's voice. Uh, number one is be confident and humble at the same time. We be confident that God speaks, but humble in our ability to hear him accurately and clearly. So Paul seems really confident he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, but Paul also is really, really humble because back in Acts chapter 16, he thinks he's supposed to go to Bithynia. He even says, the Spirit's leading me to Bithynia to preach the gospel there. And then in a dream, the Holy Spirit says, oh no, you got it wrong. You weren't listening carefully enough. You're supposed to go to Macedonia, which gives me great relief. If the apostle Paul often thought he heard from God and was wrong, that makes me feel better about all the times I've had egg on my face and I thought God was saying something to me. And then later I realized, no, that wasn't the voice of God. That was a bad pizza. Okay, so you'll see this in the Bible. The people that God speaks to the most often are the most humble people. They're confident God speaks but humble in their ability to hear. So it says in the Old Testament, Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. No one heard from God more than Moses. He wrote most of the old, you know, he was the primary author of the, the Torah, the, the early part of the Old Testament. Same thing with Paul. God spoke to Paul a lot. He wrote a bunch of the New Testament. Both of these men, very humble, but very confident in their ability to hear from God. So when, I, when I'm trying to hear God's voice and I tell other people what I'm hearing, I, I never say, and I mean never, I heard God say. And I've had three or four experiences where I was like 99.9% .9 sure God spoke, but even then I go, I've just learned, because I've missed so many times, not to say God says. Or I never say to you, thus saith the Lord. I, I, I go, I think God's saying to me. I think he might be saying. That's humility, but confidence. Are you following me? Okay, be careful with people like, I heard God say to you. Well, let's check that, okay? All right, um, uh, we gotta be in his word. So we've got to be confident and humble, 100% confident in God's ability to speak, 20% confident in our ability to hear, perhaps. But the clearest place God speaks to us is in his word. So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, this is a, a verse that Paul uh, had written down in a, a text to the church in Ephesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
That two-verse passage is saying God's breath, God's soul is in the word of God. And so there's no place we can hear God more consistently or more clearly than in the word of God. So if you're around restoration very long, you're going to hear us talk about soaps. Uh, we have so many new people coming. I'm going to talk about soaps once again, and we'll just keep talking about it until everyone's doing it all the time because we think it's awesome. So SOAP stands for uh, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, and Share. So it's a way to get in the Word and practice slowing down and listening for the voice of God. So let's say you're, you're reading 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. You start making some, some observations, okay? God's breath is in His Word, like His soul is in the Word of God. And this, this text promises me that if I... If I'll, get into it and learn it and practice it, I'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You start making down, writing down some observations in a journal or on your computer, and then maybe you make an application. It could be something like this. I will read the Bible for five minutes a day and do soaps for five minutes a day. I'm going to read, I'm going to listen and apply. I'm not going to just read and forget what I read. I'm going to read and listen to it until I hear God speak to me through it. And we pray and we say, God, you pray your application, God, help me be the kind of person that is in your word on a regular basis and hears you speak to me through it. Are you following me? Okay. And this is the kind of stuff we teach in our multiply training gatherings. Uh, and then you share it. Now, this is unique to us. Like most in our culture, in most churches, we're told you know, your relationship with God is this private thing and you know, let God speak to you, but we're never encouraged or rarely encouraged to take what God's saying to us and give it to other people. And this is so, so, so important. In God's kingdom economy, he, he gives to us so we can give to other people. This is counterintuitive to us. This is super important because God will hold us accountable to be faithful to give away what he's given to us. And, and the more he gives to us and we give it away, the more he wants to give to us. Does that make sense? So in, in, uh, in my simple church, we, we share our soaps. And then I take my soaps off and I'll share it with a friend, my accountability partner, Kayla, or my wife, or friends of mine who I think might need to hear something that I've heard from God. I go, man, that would be perfect for so-and-so. I'll, I'll send it to them. Um, Debbie's here. She sent her soaps out yesterday. God's been doing some healing on her hands. She sent this beautiful soaps. It inspired me. It inspired our whole simple church. So you see what I'm saying? You got to share what you're learning. As you share, God gives you more and it blesses not just you, but other people. Are you tracking with me? Okay. All right. So I cannot urge you strongly enough to practice soaps uh, on a regular basis. And then last thing I'll say about God's word is God never contradicts his word. So if you hear something from the spirit, make sure it checks out with the word, okay? God's not gonna you know, tell you to yell at your kids. God's not gonna tell you to sleep around, okay? Um, God, there's just certain things that are so clear in the word of God, he's not gonna tell you to commit adultery or whatever, lie. It's really clear. You don't have to ask that question. You, and if you think the spirit's saying something to you that's in conflict with the word of God, you're probably not hearing from the spirit, you're hearing from someone else. Okay. All right. Uh, number three, be in community. Uh, listening to God is a team sport. It's not just about us and God. We, we do it together as a family. Our, our simple churches are spiritual families uh, to make sure that uh, you know, we're hearing accurately. But let's be, let's be honest, not everyone in our spiritual families hears God with equal accuracy. And that's what we keep bumping into in the text. So Paul hears from God in Acts 20. He's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to suffer. The Christians in Tyre say, uh, you're not supposed to do that. Like we heard the Spirit say, you're not supposed to go. And in their head, they're going, if you suffer, it must not be God's will because they weren't that mature in their faith yet. They didn't know that. No, often when you walk with God, you will suffer some. Same thing happens in Caesarea. They say, you shouldn't go because you're going to suffer. And Paul's like, no, I'm pretty sure. And Agabus, Agabus, who was very good at listening to God, said, I'm supposed to go also. So I got a, I got a witness over here. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes your, your spiritual family or people you know 
will tell you not to do things that God is telling you to do. And I discovered this, this principle of listening more to the mature uh, very early in my, in my walk with Jesus. I came to uh, Christ at a track and field camp. Uh, two years later, three years later, I was pre-med and I had one of those mystical experiences that I feel like was like 99% sure I was hearing God's voice. I literally was studying for a chemistry exam and felt like God was telling me to go into professional ministry. I was not even going to church yet. I had two roommates that their project was to keep me out of trouble, which was a full-time job, <laughs> seriously. And I go, wow. And, and um, I told them, they're like, He's, he is uh, pranking us right now. But no, it was clear I was supposed to go into professional ministry. Now, I think all of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, people who love God, love people, and make disciples, we are all in full-time ministry. Every single one of you, if you follow Jesus, you gave your life to him, you're baptized in him, you are a full-time minister. But some people are called to professionally minister to people and equip them to do their ministry. Are you, are you following me? That, that was my calling. My father was not a follower of Jesus. When I told him I was a Christian, he's like, oh, good for you, that's nice. Little God, that could probably be helpful. But then I told him, I felt like God was leading me into professional ministry. He was like, uh-uh, <laughs> I did not raise you to do that. And so he did a lot explicitly and implicitly to dissuade me from going into professional ministry. He raised me to be a business guy, not a pastor. He had a brother that he didn't always respect a whole lot. And anyway, he said, do not become my brother. But I didn't listen to him because I was so certain God spoke to me. But I had a guy in my life named John Brooks. He began to disciple me. And John confirmed my calling. He, he kept telling me, I see in you a professional pastor. And he began to equip me and mature me and give me, gave me skills to make disciples and, and to do like equipping ministry like, like, I, do, like I do now. And, and look, looking back, I am so glad I listened to John and not my father. I, I shudder to think how things would have turned out if I would have listened to my dad instead of the spirit and the spirit speaking to me through John. Amen. Yeah. So principle, um, listen to everyone. God, God spoke to Paul through some teenage girls. He can speak to you through anybody but put a little more weight on those who are more mature and who've been practicing listening to God for a longer period of time. Okay, last skill that we need to grow in to hear God's voice more, cons more consistently is to be still, like to actually slow down. And this is probably the hardest skill to master. Be still. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. We experience God's presence when we're quiet, we wait on him and, and we're still. Um, God is a person whisperer. Not a horse whisperer, person whisperer. Like he whispers to people. There's this story about Elijah in the Old Testament and God doesn't speak to all these like fantastic things, fires and, and tornadoes and stuff. He, he spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. God loves to whisper. He loves to whisper to us. You ever notice when people are yelling at you, you, you tune them out. But when they whisper, like they, you lean in. Like my wife, Chris, who was in the last service, and like she can yell at me from the other room, not at me, but she yells for me, okay? Um, hey, get the kids or whatever, you know, the, 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 the coffee's whatever needs to be fixed. I'll, I'll hear her yelling, and I kind of hear her, but not like I do when I'm at the kitchen table, and she leans into me, and she says, uh, when you feed the kids, when you feed the kids, it's really sexy. Like, when you do the dishes, I like that. When, when she's whispering to me, I'm like, oh yeah, now, I'm, now you got my attention, now I'm listening. That's what God does. He whispers to us. He doesn't force himself on us. He is a gentleman. His spirit is gentle and kind. He will, he will not override our will, but he will whisper to us. 
so that we can respond if we so choose. So some habits that help me like be still because I'm pretty ADD. Um, walking, ironically, when I walk, my soul slows down and gets more still. Love walking. I do a lot of my praying walking. Um, I have a listening journal. It's right here. I, I open it up after I get to my walk and I just sit still and I listen. And I do like a Q&A with God every day. Almost every day I'll ask him a few questions like, uh, what should my priorities be? Uh, what do you want me to speak on this weekend? Do you like this illustration or not? Uh, I'll, if I have a problem, I'll ask for wisdom regarding that problem. Is there anything that's offensive in my life right now that you want me to know about? I'll just try to listen. Okay? And then I do my soaps. That's the last thing. Just, I'll get in the Word for a little bit, either verses I'm memorizing or verses I'm reading, and I'll find something speaking to me that day, and I'll do the soaps thing that we talked about earlier. So I would encourage you, think about skills, practices that you can participate in that help you slow down so you can hear that still, small voice of God. Which raises the question, I get asked as a pastor all the time, and the question is this, how do we know it's God's voice and not ours? That could be a whole other message, okay? But I'll go high level right now. Um, e. Stanley Jones was a pastor and a missionary in India, and he says this, the voice of the subconscious argues with you, tries to convince you. Sometimes it condemns you, right? But the inner voice of God does not argue, does not try to convince you. It just speaks and it is self-authenticating. It has the feel of the voice of God within it. I know it's like super subjective, but the more you listen for the voice of God and learn to listen to it and hear it, the more you go, oh, that's his voice. That's his voice. That's not my voice or the voices of people around me. That's, I can hear that. That's God's voice. It's self-authenticating. Um, 1963, the year I was born, uh, the Supreme Court was trying to like define pornography because of some case regarding pornography. And they, had, they couldn't define it. They couldn't come up with a, like a definition that would separate pornography from art and all that. And they were debating and fighting and stuff. And then Supreme Court Justice Potter said, I don't know how to define it. He got really frustrated. He said, I don't know how to define it. I just know it when I see it. <laughs> and I can't believe I'm comparing pornography with the voice of God. But I think it's the same way. Like, you know, over time you go, okay, I don't know how to describe this or define it, but that's his voice. That's his voice. John... 1027, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus expects us to learn to listen to his voice and discern his voice above all the other noise around us. So let's grow our listening skills, restoration. Let's be confident and humble. Let's be in his word. Um, let's be in community and let's learn to be st uh, still. And the last thing, if, if we're trying to like troubleshoot uh, why we can't hear from God, then this is kind of more of a perspective than a skill or a tactic, but we mature by surrendering and suffering. The more mature we become, the more consistently we hear God speak to us. That's what we see in Paul. But that requires that we surrender, and surrender requires some suffering. So the Christians in Caesarea, finally they got to the point where they go, okay, you know what? Paul's probably hearing from God. We're probably not. God's will be done. That is the, the primary posture we need to have if we're going to hear from God. Not my will, but God's will be done. Um, Jesus modeled that for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and then uh, often... We'll, we'll discover that we have to suffer some to do God's will. That's the part we don't like. That's why we have selective listening uh, you know, tactics that we use. But let's be clear. The primary way we suffer is by dying to ourselves so we can live for God. Very ra rarely is God going to tell you, go to Jerusalem and die there. <laughs> go to Iran, be a missionary, wear a burqa. It's like, that's not the kind of stuff he does very often. But he will tell you over and over and over again, die to project self. Stop living the self-lived life the self-led life, live the spirit-led life, and you will find life. 
That's usually the suffering we have to go through. And the best way to illustrate this is through the use of dogs. I'm going to wrap up with dogs, okay? Uh, who's got a dog in here? I got a dog. Yeah. How many of you have had like lots of dogs? Okay, this is, this is a little, little dicey. Do you ever have a favorite dog? Like, oh, that dog was the best ever, okay? Okay, that's been my experience. I've had lots of dogs, mainly mutts, but I've had two purebreds. Uh, one was a Doberman Pinscher named Baron. Okay, we got a picture of Baron. Um, I'm 24 in this picture. And yeah, isn't that sweet? I mean, he loved me. And here's the story, Baron. Uh, I was in seminary full time. I was starting a company. I bought two companies. I was trying to put them all together. Uh, it was a janitor's whole company. I would be out really late at night. Uh, I inherited three boys. I was a father at the age of 24 because of a car wreck and eventually put them in, in uh, foster care. And I was working myself ragged. I lost like 15 pounds that year. Just, I just was go, go, go. And I couldn't afford a nice neighborhood. So we lived in a bad, my ex-wife and I lived in a bad neighborhood. And crime all the time, horrible stuff happening. So I asked the police, do I buy a gun? Do I get an alarm system? And they said, no, get a dog, get a big dog. And so I go, okay, couldn't afford a dog. So I started praying for a dog. And I, I had a neighbor growing up, had a Doberman. I go, man, wouldn't it be cool, God, if you gave me a Doberman? And sure enough, there was this guy I was sharing my faith with. He was in the military. He came to me one day and he goes, listen, I've got this dog. I, the ears were still taped up. He goes, I, I realized I don't have time for a dog. Do you want this dog? And I go, yeah, I'll take the dog. And I fell in love with this dog. Um, during a very hard season of my life, God would often love me through this dog, thus the hug, okay? Like, I, it was just a brutally hard time in, in my life. And God would love me through that dog. And then I would go out and you know, check accounts at night. I never worried about my ex-wife because... You hear that dog bark behind the door, you're not going through that door. Okay? It's like this really deep, resonant bark. It always obeyed me, like it just, especially after he got neutered. He would always obey me. Like he would come when I called him, and I would, I would come home at night and I'd throw him in the truck, and I'd take him to a dirt road, and he'd run alongside me in the truck, and he'd be like 27 miles an hour, just this beautiful animal. You know, just love this dog. And I compare that dog to my last dog that was named Leo. Leo was a stud puppy, and he, he acted like a stud puppy, okay? So he was a medium-sized poodle that was used to breed golden, golden doodles. And uh, Leo would not come when I called him because uh, he thought he was like God's gift to every female dog in the neighborhood. And, and Leo became famous on next door in Wash Park because he was always running away. Like, hey, we saw Leo spotted on whatever streets. And it was really embarrassing because he's always running away. And I know, you know that's probably my fault, those of you who train dogs, but I just could not get this dog to obey me. And it, that dog drove me crazy. Did not like that dog. And one day we went out of town, loaned the dog to some friends to kind of watch. And then Leo wouldn't listen to them, went across the street and he got, he got hit by a car. Okay. So the moral of the story is, if you don't listen to God, you may get hit by a car. <laughs> Just kidding. So let me ask you some questions. Um, which, which God did I, God, dog and God, which dog did I speak to more often? Aaron, because he listened to me. Right? When we do what God wants us to do, he speaks to us more often. Uh, which dog do you think was happier? Baron. Yeah. One, because he was easier to love. But, you know, it's, just, it's easier to develop a relationship with a dog that obeys you. And then the most curious thing happened with, with me and Baron over time. It, it was like, um, I think his IQ was at least as high as mine, if not higher. But it was like he was, like, thinking my thoughts. Have you ever had a dog like that where, like, you know what I want, before I tell you what I want. Like, you just seem to know what I want in this given moment because he learned to hear my voice and, and obey it. And I think that's what happens over time as we listen to the voice of God. So don't miss this. This is really important. 
1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. So here's what happens as we mature, as we surrender and we're willing to suffer, dying to ourselves to listen to the voice of God. Over time, we don't have to ask God his opinion on certain things. We still will once in a while, but we just start thinking all the time the thoughts of God. We actually develop the mind of Christ. And it's like we're just listening to him all day long. That is God's goal for every single one of us. Is that good news? Okay. So um, the next time you have trouble hearing God's voice, uh, do some troubleshooting. And ask yourself, am I believing God wants to speak to me? And then check in with your listening skills. Are, are you confident and humble? Are you in his word? Are, are you listening with other people in community? And then be still. Are, are you just slowing down? getting out of the rush of life to just hear his voice and then ask the question, am I surrendered? Even if it requires some suffering, am I surrendered? Am I that, that place I, I can honestly say God's will be done? So why don't we practice this right now? Okay, let's actually apply what we're listening right now. So um, as Bernard's playing, let's just take like 30 seconds, bow your heads, close your eyes, let the music kind of wash over you and then uh, just listen. Let God say whatever he wants to say to you. Father, we thank you that you do speak. You're not a silent God. And we thank you that you want us to have the same kind of conversation relationship that Adam and Eve had before the fall. You're restoring through your spirit and through the gospel of Jesus Christ our ability to hear and have that kind of relationship. And Father, we thank you that uh, as we mature in our listening skills and as we obey, that over time we can have the very mind of Christ that we just naturally become and do the things that Jesus would do if he were us, because he's in us through his spirit. So thank you for speaking to us today. We declare this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna guess some of you didn't hear anything. You're normal. Just keep listening, okay? <laughs>